I can click a button and I can take out my cell phone right now and I can just say like, hey, like new yoga pants shop today. If you want to buy some, click here. That's Billie Jean Shaw, social media advertising genius, internet personality, and the CEO and founder of Billie Jean is Marketing. And literally I can ask people to buy and I can do all of what I just said in like 20 minutes. And then in three hours, I can have money deposited into my account. Are you kidding me? I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with the one and only Billie Jean to discuss how to stay relevant in the digital age and the exponential value of creating opportunities for those around you. Our ads are probably seen one to three million times a day. That's how many people I get to be in front of. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Billy Jean has become one of the most prominent voices in digital marketing today. When Billy speaks, his motto is to entertain, educate, and execute. He brings high energy to every stage and gets his audience fired up. But was Billy always like that? People will prep for a speaking gig, right? And their focus is, what am I going to say? Like, what's the slide going to be? What's my timing? What's my diction? How am I going to stand my posture? When I think of I'm going on stage, the first thing I think about is, how can I wake everybody the hell up? And I go, well, who's the lineup? I was like, this, this person's going to be boring. They're going to talk like this. They're going to be monotone. I physically think about what is the first activity that we can do that's going to get everyone excited, loosened up, laughing, and comfortable with their neighbors, right? Because I know it's like this. When you walk into a room full of strangers, and if you're speaking in an event where people don't know each other, everybody's sitting like this. They're not bumping shoulders. They don't want to look at each other. So half of my battle is to get them comfortable with each other. Because if they feel comfortable, like, you know, bumping each other on the shoulder when they agree with something, laughing, smiling together, then they're going to laugh at all my damn jokes. You know what I mean? So, so when I come into the thing, that's my obsession, is how can I be wildly entertaining? Because if I can do that and I can get their attention, I can teach them anything. Like when someone's entertained and they're truly listening to you, now I can actually make a change. Or else I'm just talking to myself. Now, there's all sorts of people that get on stages and... You know, I call them charlatans, right? Because the barrier to entry to get on stage these days is not very high. But whenever you're speaking, I can tell you're speaking from the heart. You're speaking authentically. You really live this stuff. So if you could, if you could speak to, you know, who was Billie Jean and really the origin of all this? I consider myself so basic. Starbucks, pumpkin spice latte, basically. <laughs> In regards to like, I, I usually when people catch me outside, like I got a basketball shirt and T-shirt, uh, basketball shorts and T-shirt on. So like who I am is to me, I always think of myself like as the customer, never above, never smarter. Like I go in a conversation, no matter who I meet, I'm like, damn, what can I learn from this person? Just regular, relatable. I, I think that's it. And it's because, I mean, I just had basic ass upbringing. Like my parents both grew up on welfare. So growing up, like we spent a lot of time in my grandma's house and we, you know, we saw a lot of things at a, at a young age from, you know, murder. My grandfather was murdered. My uncle was murdered. I guess it doesn't sound so regular anymore. So like, <laughs> like uh, you know, uh, drugs, like, you know, cancer. 
prison. You know, you know, I saw a lot of these things at a young age. We were exposed to these things. But then my parents did well. Um, my mom got a great job for the state. My dad uh, been in sales. And so they were kind of the most successful people in the family. Now think about that. The government worker and the automotive salesman was the most successful. And when I say most successful, imagine your whole entire ecosystem and everyone, like that was it. There was no rich, we were the rich people. So it was really fascinating. And I saw my dad come up, we didn't start the way, he started to evolve. And so that was a really weird thing because it wasn't until I went to the University of San Diego that I realized, oh shit, people are rich. Like, <laughs> like you know, a hundred grand doesn't make you rich. Like, oh snap. And so, you know, when I started getting exposed into this world and met some of the wealthiest people in the world, and as I started to learn more and become more successful, my thing has always gravitated towards all of those people who actually don't even know what, you know, a different version of success looks like. And that's why it's so important to me. Even when I'm on stage, like I curse a lot. I make a lot of jokes. I, I, I speak I simplistically because I want to make sure that I can actually affect the people that need it the most. I think sometimes we get caught up in our own thing and like, I'm like, oh, there's these other bigwigs in the room, this other corporation. It's like, let me say the thing that gets to them. I'm like, no, nah, I don't really care about them. I care about the people who grow up and they had no idea success was possible. Like people don't realize it's a privilege to know, it's a privilege to dream. Dreaming and hoping, that's a privilege. That's not a standard. Like people who have never seen success, they don't they don't even think like that. And it's, we're blessed to have that thought. So if I can inspire people and show them it's possible, I mean, it's why I have a Lamborghini with the license plates, I'm black. That's why, like my, my life, you see it, it says I'm black because I want other people of all colors, but specifically brown and black kids who haven't maybe been exposed to a level of success to know that like, oh shit, somebody who looks like me can make it. And that's what that's about. So I know you've not had an easy road. Uh, I know you went to the University of San Diego, I think, for four years, but you, but you didn't get a degree. And it seemed like things went downhill before they went uphill. Yeah, it was real bad. So <laughs> I didn't graduate. I didn't finish my last class because I'll keep cursing to it, rather limited. But there was this, this B-word teacher that I had. <laughs> it was my very last class. And I, uh, yo, I, so let me just tell you the story. My last class, four years, business administration, I graduate, I have my party, et cetera. But the deal with the university was that I had to finish one more class during summer. And I was like, whatever, that's reasonable. Um, cool. But they still let me walk, celebrate. So I had my graduation. I walked. I had the party. I sat in ceremony. I wore the cap, the gown, everything, because I just had to finish the thing during summer. So why not? Then the summer came along, and my girlfriend at the time her family's like, yo, do you want to come to Mexico with us? Like for a week. I'm like, huh, yeah, I've never been to Mexico. Like, sure. Or like how they go to Mexico. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a crazy ass vacation I'm in. So I told the teacher before the class even started. And I was like, hey, and this is what I told her. I said, hey, what do I need to do to make sure I succeed? Because there's this vacation here that's going to be a week long. I like to go on it, but I want to make sure I'm doing everything in my power to get ahead. So by the time it comes, I'm ready to go. And I'm thinking like, that's some A student stuff. Look at this guy. He's showing up before the class even starts. He's prepped. He's talking about something a month and a half, two months in advance. Like, wow, what a stud. No. She's like, well, Mr. Shaw, if you do decide to go on that, I'm just not quite sure how you're going to graduate. And I'm like, well, let's come up with a plan because that's why I'm asking you. What do you mean? Like, yeah, I'm not sure either. That's why we're communicating right now. I just, I just, from what I've seen in the past, I just don't know if your successes are really high. And I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur for freedom. And right there, I felt imprisoned. 
I felt like this lady was holding this whack-ass random class above my head that like, like she controlled me and like she was waving her wand and I just hated that feeling and there was nothing worth that feeling to me. So I never went back to her class. I sent her a nasty email and it was like, you don't control me. I don't give a F about what you, like nothing. And I, I probably regret the way I talked to her. I don't think you should ever talk bad to people, even when you're upset, especially emotionally, right? That's not the right thing to do. But I tell you this, it felt damn good. But yeah, so that is how it all started. I didn't graduate and I just said, screw it. I started a mobile oil change company after that. You know, we failed. So I checked people into 24-hour fitness. And that was whack because it was like all the money that I had, I was really just trying to pay off debt for all the debt that I acquired to make the mobile oil change company, you know, and then uh, living on uh, with my buddy's family because my parents didn't talk to me for a year because I didn't graduate and they invested all that time. And you got to remember, I was the first one in my family to ever go to college like that and to go to like the good school, private Catholic university, you know, all this ranked top business school. I didn't graduate. And my parents, they'd sacrifice everything to get me to this moment. My grandmother, she's like, she's a, you know, assistant, a, a janitor at San Diego State. And she was like, extremely educated woman, you know, rest in peace. But like, she was so proud of the fact that I was going to college. It was such a massive deal. So they were devastated, devastated when I didn't. And that's how everything really got started is with a whole bunch of failures after that. And, <laughs> and me uh, finally landing a job and going on a completely different path. So let me ask you then from, you know, from the experience with not just not graduating, but then starting your own business and, you know, and that business not being successful, undoubtedly at some point, you're probably questioning like, what route do you take? And you mentioned earlier that you're, you're an entrepreneur for freedom. So, so much of this is really about freedom, but what were some of the lessons that you kind of learned along the way and then how to eventually did you kind of get to, you know, starting the business that you have today, really focusing, you know, primarily on social and social ads? Yeah. Well, you, you said something powerful. You said it was about what route do I take? But no, it was never about like what destination or what outcome do I want? That stayed consistent, which is I wanted to do a business and I wanted to create what I saw these kids' parents do in college. I saw them have these ridiculous lives. Like I decided because of what I was, I was exposed to um, and I had that privilege to see what else is out there. I'm like, yeah, like I want that. So the outcome was decided. Now the route to get there, boy, that was confusing because I was totally in that state of like, how do you make money? And mind you, I went to USD and I was there like the whole time. I just never forgot how to like make money, like, isn't, just think about how ridiculous that is. How can I come out of a university and then ask myself, how should I make money? That's wild. And truly to have no clue. The only thing that I knew that made money that was short was becoming an accountant and trying to work at, you know, EY or Deloitte or, you know what I mean? Like, that's it. And first of all, I hated it and I was shitty at it. <laughs> it was, I was not, I wasn't going to be an accountant. Like, didn't happen. But I had a lot of my friends do it and they had success. So while I was, this was the hardest part for me when I was going downhill, so to speak, is all of my friends that I went to school with were going up, right? Buying their first house, solid income, cracking the six figures. And I was like... I like cracking open another pack of top ramen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, and it felt like, am I, it, I did have the questions of like, am I doing this right? Like, is it supposed to be like this? So anyways, what I learned about making money is that I was 
trying to acquire it the wrong way. I was trying to make money because I just wanted to make money. Therefore, I would just do anything what I thought was a good money idea versus actually getting money to solve a problem, right? Like go with the accountant. An accountant, you pay money because they can solve a problem. A lawyer, you pay money to because you can solve a problem. Get me out of jail. Keep me out of jail. Send me to jail, whatever, right? Doctors, you know, you can save life. So like the, the value, that's why they get paid a lot of money. They're solving a big problem. I had no problems that I could solve. So I was making the exact amount of money that I deserved to make, which was dick. Nothing. Like I <laughs> can't solve anything. You can't make no damn money. Like I, I got exactly what the check is. Here, Billy, what would you like to solve? Nothing. Okay, that'll be zero dollars. Here you go. Here's nothing for nothing. That's what happened to me. So I ended up getting a job because uh, I needed money. And my car got towed and all my shit was in it. And I had to borrow money from people. And so I had to pay them back. So I got a job out of guilt because I had to pay people back because I owed money a lot out of failing for so long. So I got a job at a call center that was an online education to convince people to go back to college. How ironic. <laughs> I'm sitting here. And then this is, again, just chasing money, right? I'm selling something I completely don't believe in. Like, I, I couldn't stand it. I thought it was a moral company. Like, it was it was outside of my moral compass. Everything was wrong. There was 6,000 people that were working there. So I, you know, I figured that would be okay. If Whatever. It was horrible. But I learned a lot from there about organization structure, how to run teams, and also, too, this whole idea of selling stuff online. I'm like, this is crazy. And then I found the CEO of the company made 25 million bucks in a year. And I said, what? And I quit the next day. I'm like, I got to figure out this online stuff. Being entrepreneurial from an early age and arguably unemployable, Billy was determined to forge his own path. I asked him to elaborate on what that early experience was like and how he eventually built the eight-figure powerhouse he runs today. I didn't know anything, so I couldn't just start an online class. I had nothing to teach. So I went and I licensed some programs, one to help people quit smoking. And then trying to figure out how to sell this quit smoking program that this guy created, Lou Ryan, shout out to him. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, do I do a call center? Like, how do I find customers? And then I stumbled across this thing called Facebook ads. And that changed my life forever. I got to put up this little image ad on the right-hand side of Facebook and people can click it. And if they went to my website, they can buy something. And I spent 80 bucks on a test and one person bought. I lost a bunch of money and they asked for a refund immediately. But something clicked. I knew it was possible. I knew it was possible to actually make money online. Here, there was a stranger in space that saw my thing and bought it. Well, imagine if 10 people said yes. Oh my gosh, I'd be on cloud nine right now. And I just got obsessed with this whole, like everything I sold before that from t-shirts to all my different, like, you know, I sold cars, you know, during summers, during college to pay for my rent during the year. All these different things that I did required me to like talk to you, Michael, like, hey, would you like to buy this? And now there was this thing where I can click a button and I can ask a thousand people to buy in a split second. Your brain cannot ever go back. I can never make money in a different way again. Like if someone told me right now, like, hey, you're going to have to ask people one-on-one -on -one to make cash. Like for, like, no, I, no. Why would I do that? When I, I mean, I ask, uh, you know, our ads right now, what we've been, our ads have been seen about 800 million times. Our ads are probably seen one to three million times a day. That's how many people I get to be in front of. Now, you think I'm just going to pick up the phone and call people? My brain's broken in a good way. I've learned a new way. It's just like everybody. When you level up and you learn a better way to do it, you can't go back.
And for the people listening, when you're talking about social media, it could be any social platform, but primarily Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. What, what do you think is like the, the kind of the key aspect of that? I mean, is it just the fact that you've got attention, that you have so many like almost infinite levels of like targeting that you can just get in front of somebody where they're spending their time? What, what do you think is kind of the thing that makes that such a, a valuable approach? It's just so cheap to ask people and so fast. And you can ask anyone. Like to me, and I still get excited about it. And I've been doing it for a decade, but- the fact that I can log into Facebook right now and I can click three buttons and I can go, yeah, I only want to show this to women who are 25 to 55 who like Trump or hate Trump, who watch this TV show that are into Lululemon and make X amount of money and live in this zip codes. And then I can click a button and I can take out my cell phone right now and I can just say like, hey, like new yoga pants shop today. If you want to buy some, click here. And literally I can ask people to buy and I can do all of what I just said in like 20 minutes. And then in three hours, I can have money deposited into my account. Are you kidding me? Like to me, I get so excited about and geeked out about that concept that like I get mad, like I, I get mad when like people aren't taking advantage of it. I'm like, are you? And it's almost like I feel like I'm cheating. Like, hello, like there's this secret 20 minutes and click the button. I can ask a thousand people to buy for five bucks a day. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's wild. So to me, it's nothing more than a tool that allows you to ask people at scale to buy really fast and really affordably. And it seems to me like, you know, one of the things that social really did, particularly social ads, is leveling the playing field, right? It would kind of reduce the barrier to entry because before with a lot of traditional advertising, TV, radio, billboards, that required, you know, a tremendous amount of capital. But the thing is on, on social, because there's a lot of people that run ads and most, let's say, are not as successful as, as they could be. What types of like skills do you think become more valuable when, you know, in that world? I think the ability to articulate what you're selling and what you're offering in one sentence is extremely valuable. It forces people to be concise, but the, the skill that really gets, you know, paid today is entertaining, making people laugh. Like you can, you, you know, go to a gazillion business classes and maybe they'll talk about it in like a negotiations class or, you know, sales class, if there's one, if it's not an elective or something like that. But the ability to make someone laugh is insanely monetarily valuable right now. Because in short, without going techie for everyone listening, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, they charge you less money when more people engage with your stuff, meaning when they like it, they click it, or they watch for X amount of time. So if you're putting out funny things that people like to watch, it's much cheaper to show them advertisements. And so monetarily, it could save you a ton of money by making people laugh and giving them content or a sales pitch that they enjoy. An example of that would be... Um, you know, Dollar Shave Club or or Poopery, if you guys have seen those commercials that have been seen hundreds of millions of times, if not a billion. That right there, it's the ability to sell while simultaneously entertaining. And that's what I talk about all the time, entertain, educate, execute. You can figure out how to fucking sell, why entertaining, you are in control of your social destiny like no other. And then the other thing that I challenge everybody to think about is a lot of people are decided on who they are. Well, I'm not funny. I'm not entertaining. Like you can be, everybody's funny. Sometimes everybody can make a funny. Everyone can be entertaining at times, or people can do things that are entertaining. I'll give you an example. Take, let's say you and I are the most boring people on the planet right now, but let's say both of us like climb to a massive mountain and we do it with no bungee cord, no straps, no safety, nothing. So in other words, if we drop, we're going to die. Well, let me tell you, we're entertaining. <laughs> we're the most entertaining thing that you can even think of watching because we raise the stakes. And again, it doesn't have anything to do with our personality. And the reason why I bring up that example, it was a little extreme, was that people realize it's like, 
you don't have to have this loud, robust, like annoying personality to be extremely engaging. You just have to think outside of the box and you got to do things differently. So you mentioned that, you know, kind of that trifecta of like entertain, educate and execute. Talk to me about execute. Execute is speed, testing fast, right? Like for you and I to make a video advertisement that can go on Facebook right now, we can literally pick up our phone, start rambling, put it up and like get it up in that 20, 20 to 60 minutes. The problem is, is we're in a world of, because there's so many options and there's not a lot of barriers to entry in a lot of different fields, people overthink everything, everything everything. Well, what do I want to say? Well, who do I want to talk to? Well, what am I going to sell? Well, what's the best thing to do? People will go through meetings, scheduled meetings, just to come up with the idea of what they're going to sell. And now a week has passed. And then they think of a week has passed and like, okay, well now how are we going to create this advertisement thing? What are we going to do? Da, da, da. Another week and a half goes by just trying to figure out what the hell to say. And then they get it together and then they go back and forth for a few more days reviewing it. Do we like it? Do we not? Da, da, da. Now we're week three in. And we haven't even tested anything. So then finally, it's like, All right, let's just put it out, test it. We're week four in. We put something out and it completely bombs. Now, a month has passed by. All kinds of expensive has passed by. But the thing with business, every single month, new expenses come out, right? That cycle every month. So now we get discouraged. Now it becomes twice as expensive every month that goes by, right? It, it's exponential growth there in the, in the cost. And we're all just like, well, this social media stuff's a waste of time. When the truth is... Just some stuff works and sometimes doesn't. Most of my stuff fails, right? But the difference is that I have an in-house media team, right? There's four or five of us that can build videos and, and images that all the time. So by the time somebody has an idea, we'll already be done and tested. Like we'll think of an idea, film it the same day, put it out the same day, spend a hundred bucks on it and know if it works in the same day. So think about that. If it's taking, if I can test a new ad every single day, that gives me 30 shots a month versus other people who it's giving them one shot in 30 days. Who's going to win? Like you just, you can't even compete with it. You can't even compete with it. And that's the execution. It really should be imperfect execution. Just go. And you also never know what's going to resonate with people. You know how many times I thought an ad was going to kill it? A message was going to kill it. A product was going to kill it. And it just got killed. Like it was just, <laughs> didn't work. And then some things I'm like, are you kidding me? That worked. And it does. And this is from a professional who does it every single day and probably sees more ads than most people on the planet. So speed. Execution is about speed. And Billy, I'm sure there's people that are listening and they're thinking, well, Billy, I tried Facebook ads and it didn't work for me. Right. So they, they just give up, give up on the ads. What, what? Hey, you guys tried, you tried to date too. Didn't work for you probably most of the time. Then you found one that decided to put up with your crap. And now you're married, right? Like you, you, you tried to listen to music before a lot of songs suck and you end up changing it. But every now and then one catches you and you play it over on repeat again and again and again and again. It's, it's the same thing. You know what I mean? It's like, keep trying. Accept this truth, everyone listening. An advertisement on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, LinkedIn, an advertisement is nothing more than a message that you put in front of somebody. Everybody just remember that. It is a message that you put in front of somebody. It is, it's a billboard, right? Like, think about it. Like, a billboard cannot not work. Just the message on the billboard cannot work. So when I think of a Facebook ad... Facebook's only job is to take the message that you create and put it in front of the people that you tell it to. If you're not getting results, that doesn't mean Facebook doesn't work. It means your message sucks. Now, the light at the end of that tunnel is that if your message sucks, just make a new message. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't say, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's funny how like an advertisement is the only thing that we just want to like give up on, but everything else we understand that like, yeah, like 
ba professional baseball players. We know the saying, like they're the best hitters in the world hit it one out of three times. So why are we beating up Facebook ads, especially considering the fact it, you can literally test something for like 10 bucks and film it in like an hour and put it up. Come on, come on, come on. And the upside, last thing I said is the upside is so worth it. When you have an ad that works in something that's just printing out cash or bringing you leads on a regular for a super affordable rate, it changes the way you do business fundamentally forever. I've had some ads that I've been running for years. So the other cool thing is like once you have an ad that works, it's not even like you have to do it all of the time. Just keep putting it out. Even your post, your organic post, post it, you know, one day and then a few months later, post it again. It'll work again because a good message is a good message is a good message, period. Let's talk about branding, right? Because some, some of this stuff, I know we're talking about ads, some are almost like direct response, but what about just running content, posting content where there's not a call to action? It's literally just the branding. I know, I know you guys invest a lot in your brand every single month. Why? Because right now we live in this fun time where you can completely control the narrative of what people think about you. And this is what people don't realize. And this is exciting. And when we link up in person, I'm going to dive into this deep uh, with your people because I think it's so damn exciting. But people don't realize right now. So before when media was mostly controlled by television, radio, et cetera, PR, there was a handful of big conglomerates that really were kind of the gatekeepers, right? They say yay or nay. And it would cost you an arm and a leg. So like John Doe and Joe Schmuck, like we couldn't compete with that. Like we we're at the mercy of whatever they do. Now with Facebook and Instagram, like literally – like you and I, I can take this recording here and I can take like the intro that you have or I can take like highlights of like you saying awesome things about me in a good way. If you say, you know, great things and then I can take that, put it into a little two minute video and post it, show it to the people that I asked to follow, that I asked to follow me. And then all of a sudden when they see me, they're like, oh shit, he, he must be legit. Like he's on Michael's podcast. Da, 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 da. I can take an article you know, in Forbes or, you know, what I can get featured on any kind of publication. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be John Doe's next door, but then I can post that. And now people will only see that I can, you know, take a picture with other influencers in the space. And then I can post that. And I, people see what you post, like literally you get to control it. So who you are is what you tell them you are. <laughs> like it's a fascinating thing. Like it's what you tell them you are, like you make it up. It's like wild to me. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's in regards to brand, we have more control, flexibility and freedom than we've ever had before. And it's kind of, I mean, it's fascinating. And we've seen this play out, right? In society, because this can go, you know, you can be good or evil, right? You can manufacture different types of narratives. 100%. I mean, you see it every single day when you go on the internet, you know? And so I think that's the other thing is like, when you're not creating content, and somebody else creates content about you, guess what? They can control your narrative now. They tell people who you are, period. Now, when you get into like elections and stuff, you have a whole bunch of people trying to create a narrative around you on both sides, right? Which is why you get so much misinformation. But like your company, my company, like little small businesses, no one's creating content about your stuff. So the only content that's created is the stuff that you create. <laughs> like if you, if you want your law firm to be number one for X, Y, and Z, then just make a bunch of content that says it. And now it's true. Like it's, it's a, it's a wild time. Like, it, and it sounds so ridiculous, but it's, it's, it's a fact, you know? And as someone who's starting out, let's say there's a law firm owner who's listening, they want to get, you know, into the game. I guess two questions on that. One, there's many who feel maybe they're too late into it. Like maybe they should have gotten in much earlier. And then, and then two, if they do get, you know, uh, they start investing in Facebook ads. Many times we find that that investment is not like a full commitment, right? It's not substantial. It's kind of dabbling in it or making a few posts here and there. What, what do you think it really needs to be to move the needle? 
it's mandatory, but it's not. that's not enough. It's the way it is. Actually, here, for everybody, this is why you should get on social in one simple example. Take law firm A and take law firm B. They sell the same shit. They're trying to go after the same customers. So the customer's trying to decide who they should work with. One of the people they Google and they cannot see anything. There's like nothing on there. There's no pictures. There's no videos. There's no images. There's no post. The last one was like a year and a half ago. There's like three reviews like that are crusty from years old that like maybe say some truth, some not. And then the other person, they've been posting, you know, every single day, right? Or every other day. And you can see pictures of the people who work there. You can see videos to get a feel for their personality. It has their address on it filled out. And they, you know, they, they post some content of them doing interviews, just whatever, like basic stuff, little tips, tricks. You guys tell me, what percentage of the time does the law firm with content win the client? Because my guess is 100 I can't think of one damn scenario unless it's a referral that only trusts you. And that's why your growth looks like this straight flat. You're not getting new clients because you're just depending on them damn referrals, but you're doing nothing to attract new people and they're choosing other people over you. And then it's how long can a business last like that? You'll, you'll find out because you'll be out of business soon if that's you, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean condescending or anything like that, but I also want to bring the very truth and the, the realness, the harshness of like, if you don't do this, you, you will be out of business. I genuinely believe that. And the only reason, like, they're like, well, whatever, this company is around and they don't do any of that stuff. Yeah, they're depending on writing off the coattails of their legacy from prior years, period. And guess what? Every single year, every day that goes by, it's losing steam, all of it. And as that generation that refuses to be stubborn as they die, oh, you, oh, you wait, just wait till you see what happens in 20 years. That's not even going to be a thing. Now, and when I say 20, I mean like five maybe three, two, two months. Here's another one. COVID happens. We fast forward into time 10 years because now everybody's online and using this product. Like, come on, let's be honest. Courtrooms may be just on Zoom. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of, a lot changes to that. Why you got to show up anymore? Everything is possible, right? Like we, so the question is like, how important is it? It's, I don't know if there's a single activity that's more important in their business. Because if you don't have customers, none of the rest matters. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of people that hear this, and I want to make sure that they hear this correctly because, you know, you've talked about the importance of having great content, but there's going to be people that will start shooting videos, you know, doing vlogs, a podcast, you know, all sorts of content. But talk about the role of distribution in this because, you know, great content is one thing, but it seems like the distribution is almost as important, if not more important. Yeah, so there's, there's creating content and then there's somebody has to see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no one see again, you can control the narrative, but like you got to get the readers. Right. And so this is why, you know, I like to take an organic content strategy and then throw five or 10 bucks on the content. And I get to, again, remember you get to choose, you get to click a button, like you're ordering on a menu and say, yeah, show this to men, this age in this zip code. You know what I mean? Uh, that have an affinity towards blank, blank, blank. You get to click those buttons, throw five bucks at it. And then you'll know people are seeing it. Like, it's, just, it's not a crazy strategy. And then you're like, well, what do I post? It doesn't have to be fancy. Literally pick up your phone. Here's an exercise for everybody. Take out a piece of paper, draw a giant capitalized letter T on the left-hand side, write problem on the right-hand side, write solution. And then I want you to write 10 problems that your ideal customer is facing. And then on the right, put the solution of how your product or service solves it and then make two-minute videos. 
Hey, so if you're wondering, you know, if you're, you're moving to the Arlington area and you're looking to buy a house and it's your first time buying a house, you're probably wondering how much money you're going to need down. Well, here's how this works. Next one. Hey, if you're just looking to buy a house for the first time, you're probably wondering what kind of credit score do you have? Next one. If you're just looking to buy a house and you got a family, you're probably wondering what are the safest schools? Next one. And that's it. Like it doesn't, don't overcomplicate it. You know, you don't have to have a, a brand like mine where you're, you have full in-house media team and all that jazz. Like it's not necessary. I recommend it. Right. But like, just put it out there. Let, people just want to know you're not a creeper. People just want to know you're not a creeper. Like there's a lot of money in just not being a creeper. Just like, you know, if you got, y'all got kids. And you're listening, and you know, you're. Let's say I got a daughter. If you, if your daughter comes home and she's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm dating this guy," you have to let me see his social. And she's like, "He doesn't have any." Well, let me let me pull up. Like, who are his friends? Like, he hangs out by himself. Well, like, has anybody like actually been, hung out with this guy before? No, no reviews. Like, you're like, this is a serial killer, honey. You're not going out. This is this is where we're at. And the ironic part is like people understand this, but they're not doing anything about it. But it's the same people who won't go to a restaurant unless they have four to five stars on Yelp. But then they doubt the power of like, should I be on social? Shut up. Like, that's a, you don't even believe that. Like, that's a that's a weird question to ask because it's so unbelievable. You know, like it's like I'm going to go outside today. Like, should I breathe? Like, what? That's a weird question to ask. Like, what do you mean? Of course, I, I hope you breathe. Like, you, you, I think you have to. That's how I feel about it. Over the past several years, Billie Jean has continued to grow in notoriety as a thought leader in the digital marketing arena. I asked Billie what was going through his mind as his business and personal brand grew exponentially. That were just heating up. That's, that's what genuinely is going through my head. Like, I think about that all the time. I talk about with Paul and Johnny all the time. Like, I, I honestly don't even believe we've we've scratched the surface. So, so like, factually, what's happened, yeah, our, our ads have been seen about 800 million times. 100,000 plus students in 75 countries work with some of the largest franchises in the world. And, yeah, had the opportunity to speak on a lot of dope stages in the entrepreneurial space and connect with people and all the people that you see. Like, all of those things check. Cool. Dude, I'm 32. I'm like... Netflix, Hulu, let's go, content subscription on the distribution partners, right? Like, hey, if I can have my ads where I'm directly reaching a million to three people a day and then I can get another big partner like a Netflix or Hulu that's distributing my content, you know, hitting millions of people a day. And, you know, that's what I think about. Again, affordable. I want to keep our stuff affordable so that like everyone who's getting into this entrepreneur space as becoming more popular, they have the right tools, the right tools. Like my whole thing is like, I like people to buy my stuff spend like 30, 100 bucks, whatever, and be like, dude, I learned more about this, dude. I learned more about real business for the small business owner, you know, that than any any course they've ever taken in their lives, like whole programs. That's the vision, man. I just want to, I just realized I got so lucky, you know, and again, I don't want anyone to get that twisted. I'm by no means a victim. I'm controlling my fate and I make things happen, but I am no way or shape or form arrogant enough to believe that I did this on my own. That would be so foolish. I've been so blessed to have so many that I have mentors later, et cetera. And I know there's so many people who don't have mentors who feel they are hopeless. They don't have access to experiences and certain people and processes and knowing the difference between right and wrong in a lot of cases too. And if I can be the guy to reach those people, I win. And so that's my focus is we're doing it. Now let's expand it. Let's go bigger. You know what I mean? So 100,000 students, that's cute. How do we get to a million? million, that's cute. How do we get to 10 million? 10 million, that's cute. How do we get to 100 million, right? Like progressing. And when I like, okay, well, shit, if this is done by 32, what's the next chapter like? And I think, especially for me, like the network has really opened 
over the last four years uh, doing the speaking and stuff and like getting to go to Fiji, you know, on Tony Robbins Island with 10 other people and, and have those deep discussions and coming friends with the guys I used to look at, you know, I watched Shark Tank since season one, every single episode. And you now, you know, blessed to call, you know, Damon, you know, a friend and, and some of the other people's and all these different people I look up to. So I'm just like, man, I feel, I feel blessed and I feel the word is duty. I just feel like a duty. I feel so fortunate to be in this position. And then I have a duty to to bust it open even more for the next generation, the next chapter. So duty is what really has got me hyped now. Yeah, and I've seen so many instances where you see like success almost corrupt people and they kind of lose their way and, and you know, they don't they don't stay on top for very long. But, you know, it seems like you've been handling it in a very like dutiful way, as, as you say, and that you've been reinvesting in that. You've been reinvesting in your team, in your clients, just in your infrastructure, all these things that it's almost like you have this insatiable appetite. So let me, let me ask you, like, what does uh, what does success mean to you? I think success means to me really tapping into, on the personal level, like tapping into my potential. And if I'm being honest with myself, like I'm probably playing at like 30% right now. Real, not even like hype, not self-deprecating, like 30%. Like I could be doing a lot more, which means a lot more people I could be helping. So I guess success to me a lot means way like not being selfish putting myself aside, like, I'm good. Like, here's like, I'm good. Like, finance, like, I don't need anything else. I need nothing. I don't want anything. I like, like, I'm definitely one of those guys be like, what do I want to get you forgive? I want nothing. I literally want nothing. I'm good. I have everything. So to me, I'm like, success is now taking that very fortunate position and, and just fucking doing massive amounts. So paying it forward, you know what I mean? Like, success to me is, is, is waking up in 20 years and the people that I'm helping, them helping people and those people helping me, like the ripple effect, seeing it in action, you know, seeing the ripple. Success for me is making sure my team is good. Like, you know what I mean? Like the people that ride with me and like we do this together, I'm not alone. Like making sure they're good and that we're all good. Like, you know, so to me, my daughter, you know, like making sure that she's a servant and that she is living a life that's not about her. You know, you hear some people are like, as long as my kid's happy, I, I could not disagree with something more. <laughs> like, I'm like, you'll be happy, but you're going to be happy as a result of helping others. Like, like her position, how she's growing up and the things she has access and resources to, the most selfish, self-absorbed, privileged freaking thing I could ever do is look her in the face and say, good job, pound it, baby, you're happy. Go be like an artist and paint just for yourself and travel. Like, excuse me, what? That's crazy to me. So I think that's the worst thing I could ever do. That, that to me would be the opposite of success. That would be failure. And along with success, you know, as, as you've been, you know, building a community, influence, you carry a lot of attention. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of advocates. People love you, but not everybody loves Billie Jean, right? There are some people that are that are critical of that. You know, you've got, you know, you've got the haters out there. And, and I'm wondering just from the standpoint of like, does it ever get to you? Does it ever bother you? Honestly, no. It just outweighs. There's just so, we get so much love and support. It's like, it's hard to. Imagine like a stadium of people that are rooting for us. It's really hard to hear the, the three people throwing stones outside. And also, too, the, they always have something in common. Well, they have a few things in common. Number one is they've never actually bought our shit. <laughs> like almost every single time anyone has ever said anything, they've never actually been to an event. They've never experienced because we just treat our people well. Like we don't we, we, we try and deliver and go above. I mean, we're not perfect all the time, but like it's hard to get offended at somebody who like hasn't even dealt, like done your stuff. And then, you know, thirdly, as you get to know people, and that's my job is to understand human behavior, psychology and people at, at scale at an aggregate level. And you just realize 
anyone who's lashing out against anybody, they're typically just in so much pain and so unhappy with their life. A lot of time you just feel bad for them. Or if I'm in a mood type of way, then I just love like trolling them back and like cracking jokes and like being a dick sometimes. Like, <laughs> like, I, like if someone like trolls me, I'm not the one to troll because a lot of trolls like say things because they're like, oh, no one's ever going to say anything back. Like you say some stupid shit to me. I'll like let you know, post it on my social. And like, I'm just not really, a, I'm not really a target type. And, and I, I'm curious because I, I do want to get to the root of this. I think this would be helpful to a lot of people listening. You know, if you look back 10 years, right, and you're, you know, you're in school, you're, you're about to have almost like that, I don't know if you'd call it like a rock bottom moment, but just that moment of you've got to gain clarity, kind of figure out what path you're going to take. Could you ever have anticipated 10 years from that date being where you are today? I wanted it so bad that like I had to anticipate it. It's not that I didn't have doubts. Of course I had doubts, man. I didn't graduate. You know, my ideal customer is a middle-aged white dude. I was a non-graduate, you know, uh, large black dude cursed like a sailor that, like, I, I had all kinds of limiting beliefs about, like, well, come on now. Like, anybody going to take me seriously, you know? And remember, my skills were limited in the beginning. I wasn't that good at what I did. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I mean, I, I had those doubts. But I, I think you have to – I think anyone who becomes great at anything, it's like – there is a part of you that just that, that sees it. And I think the only time that we say there's not is when we're trying to make someone else feel better. You know, like I would love to be like, yeah, guys, like I had no idea. And it just da 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 da. Like that'd be a lie. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. I, I saw all this shit. Now, did I doubt it? Was I afraid of it? Did I think I was going to mess up a ton? Like, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But I wanted it and, I, and failure was not an option. Well, and, and I don't want to go too motivational when I say this because, you know, there's, there's always somebody that's, you know, they're at a place right now. They're not where they want to be. I and mean, I, I think it probably goes for, for most of us listening. But let's just say somebody's really starting out, whether they're starting out with their business. You know, it's a consistent struggle. They don't have really a support team around them. They have no infrastructure. I mean, they're, 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 they're right at the beginning. And when you say, hey, I did it, you can too. But it seems like there's always an X factor of the people who actually do make it, right? I'll tell you what the X factor is. And the good news is it's not something that like someone's just born with. Well, sometimes people are just born with, <laughs> you know what I mean? That is an X factor. But those people can't keep it unless they develop these other things I'm going to talk about. And the number one thing that I found out about money specifically and making it is the ability to do something that others cannot do or the ability to do that a lot better. And then the second component of that is it for it to be in high demand. That's money in its, in, in its simplest form. That's the whole thing. So again, I gave the example in the beginning of like, Doctors will make money because there's always a need of people getting sick and most people on the planet can't do it because most people are unwilling to put in 13 years of their life into and $350,000 of debt and go to the hardest, most challenging academic schools in the world. Therefore, they have a disproportional result or pay in, in lifestyle than most because they're doing things that they're unwilling to do. So like, again, I, I ask everyone listening who's in that stage, what can you do that others cannot and if you're, you don't have any skills that you've acquired, you make the amount of money that you deserve. A lot of people think they start a company to put the CEO hat on and like, well, I'm going to hire this, this, and this. And I just go like, well, what do you do? Like, well, I'm the CEO. Like, what? like that's, the, that's the misconception. That's the dream part that I think people just miss on. Like, like what do you do? You got to do, you got to do something. And that's why I'm so obsessed with learning because, you know, I worry about like, because now I've been in this game 10 years on this digital stuff. And it's like, okay, Billy, like, how do you stay irrelevant is I stay learned. I stay studied. I stay 
equipping my mind so I can stay relevant. Like I stay relevant by talking about the newest marketing innovation stuff. The one thing that I know that's going to happen for sure is marketing and tech will always change. So if I continue to stay top of class, you know, world leader, if I stay on that, then I can stay relevant by just talking about the things that are always going to be relevant, right? I make it beyond me. So like, that's my big secret is like, stay really good at this stuff. You know, like this ad stuff and the things that I do, like I do this, you know, every single day. Like I, I write ads every day. I film ads every day. I help people create ads literally every single day. I have a community of people who just talk about advertising all day. I honestly don't know if there's anyone who is literally in the conversation of advertising as much as myself. Then, you know, like it's a handful of people in the world. Therefore, I can do things in that lane. Now, I suck at a whole bunch of other things, you know, because I, I'm just really good at this this one thing, you know, but like. I'm horrible at like 98% of other things in my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm good at my one thing, but it just happens to be something in need and something that pays well. And Billy, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? Being a game changer means I created an opportunity for somebody else. A body of work, a content piece that I put out has created an opportunity for someone else that either didn't exist or that they didn't know it existed or that they were too afraid to tap into. That's a game changer. It's like, you know, I want to give someone a, I want, like if someone like goes through like one of my trainings or works with me or something, and let's say they don't learn anything, which would be really hard to do because I shit's good, but let's say they didn't learn anything, but they left with the idea that it was possible. Like to me, that's a game changer. You know, I, I had this experience um, one time, one of my mentors, his name was Bob McNeely, rest in peace. And uh, I was in part of this high school program called the Lynx Achiever Program, where they basically take two, two black kids from a bunch of different high schools and they pair you with another successful African-American male who's already in the world, like killing it. And I happened to get you know linked up with this guy, Bob McNeely. And I was like, man, this is whack. Like, I want to go play sports, chase girls. Like, come on, mom, you're going to make me go to dinner with some stranger old ass dude who's going to tell me about life. This sounds like a nightmare. Because in high school, this is how you think, right? Like, you know, come on, like, oh, this is such a great opportunity. Come on now. So anyways, he's like, all right, meet me. He sends me like an email. So meet me at this address. I'm like, damn, it's downtown. I don't know where to park, whatever. And, you know, young man, you know, wear a suit. Oh, shit. Now, here we go. So I go to this building. It's downtown San Diego. And uh, you, know, you go up the elevator and you walk out and you just have the most ridiculous view of the city. Crazy. Like, I'm talking brilliant, beautiful, like, right here in downtown San Diego. And they're like, oh, you're here to see Mr. McNeely? They walk me back and escort me back. Oh, oh what is this? I sit down, hands me the menu. The menus have no prices on them. I'm like, yeah. So he's like, what do you want to eat? I'm like, nothing. Everything has no prices on it. I don't want to make you pay a whole bunch of money for me, you know, like trying to be polite. Like, and he's like, oh, it's all good, da-da-da. And we, we have a conversation, da-da-da. And the conversation wasn't, wasn't like revolutionary or like, you know what I mean? It wasn't like this moment conversation. But what I took from that is that places like this exist. I said, what is this? Oh, he's like a private members club. You have to be a member to hear. Like when he ordered, like he just gave a member number. I was like, what? This is strange. Like this whole thing. I, did, I didn't even know these things existed. And that experience was game changing for me. Because I said, this is the coolest shit ever. Like you just go to dinner, you walk in, you look like a badass, they give you food and it's all fancy and stuff. And look at this view, like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then later, you know, uh, one of the last things he did before he passed is he, he got me a membership there. So I've been a member for like five, six years. And uh, I brought people there and, and done some cool events there and things like that. But to me, like, that's what game changing is. 
people think game changing is like the information, like it's, it's the experience. Experience is what really resonates with people. I want to give a huge thanks to Billie Jean Shaw for taking the time to speak with me today. You know, what particularly resonated for me was when Billie mentioned that the amount of money that you make is going to be correlated to the value that you provide and the problems that you solve. Also, a firm with a strong digital presence and valuable content will beat out its competitors 100% of the time. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Billie Jean, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be speaking to legal marketing pioneer Morris Bart about the most pivotal decisions in his decades-long career, the motivations driving his iconic advertising strategy, and the lessons he's learned scaling his law firm into the powerhouse it is today. At first, I used to hear advertising doesn't work. And then when I showed it worked, I would hear from, well, you were just a lucky son of a bitch because you were at the right place at the right time, but you couldn't do it today. So I thought, okay, well, screw you. And then I would expand to their cities to show them that it's more than just advertising, that I have a certain technique that makes me successful. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Thank you.